you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter 20, and we will start in verses 19 and go uh, to the end of the chapter. And it has been an absolutely splendid day in the house of the Lord this morning. It just seems like there's just this joy of being together, and it's just delightful to see your faces and uh, to celebrate this wonderful day together. And so as we work our way through this text, um, you see on the top of your outline there on your half sheet of paper, uh, peace be with you, because it is finished. So this morning, we just want to look at this small passage of Scripture and ask ourselves where the Lord is leading and guide us, guiding us this day. So would you follow along with me? John chapter 20, let's start in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked uh, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were once again inside, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to them, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, help us. This morning we come to your word not wanting to fill our hearts and heads with information that leads nowhere. We want it to lead to life change. We want to leave 305 South Perry Street. We want to turn off our televisions and, and walk out of uh, wherever we are in force and in power and in peace. So Lord, help us this day as we open your word, as we, we cut open your word, would it nourish our souls today? We're thankful for you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's set the stage of what's happening. Jesus has been crucified. He's walked through this week, and uh, he's been spit on and mocked, and he's been hung on a tree, his, his hands pierced, his feet pierced. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. And we remember on Friday, he said these exclaiming words to Telestai, it is finished. We talked about the debt that had been paid, and all the sins have been taken away. But here in this moment, the disciples have heard of his resurrection from Mary, but they themselves, they have not seen Jesus with their own eyes. There's, there's some fear. There's some worry. There's some apprehension and some trepidation about what's exactly taken place. For a moment, put yourself in the disciples' shoes. The disciples have left everything to follow Jesus. They left, left, left their tax collecting. They left their thriving fishing business. They've left everything behind to follow Jesus, leaving family behind in social situations and financial entanglements. They've left everything to follow Jesus. And here they are in this upper room, possibly wondering, was it the right move? Should we have left everything behind? 
I mean, they with their own eyes saw Jesus crucified, hanging on the tree. They saw him die. They saw the darkness come over the land. They knew what was happening, that they had seen with their own eyes this murdered Savior. So here they are in this upper room, worried, anxious, not at ease, and certainly not going out in force, being evangelists, apostles of the gospel, spreading the good news of Jesus everywhere. Here they are huddled in this upper, locked room for fear of the Jews that they would come and do the exact thing that they did to Jesus to them. They're fearing their lives, worried that they would be taken up, beaten, and put on a cross. And so here, it's in this upper room that Jesus comes to them. This locked room, Jesus appears before him, and what does he say? Four simple words that have a wealth of meaning behind them. Does Jesus come and say, hey, guys, what is the deal, man? Peter, what's the deal, man? Why did you deny me three times? I told you you were going to do it, and you did it anyway. Guys, come on, man. The last thing that I did was I raised Lazarus from the dead to show you that I was going to raise up. What's the deal? Why are we, why are we scared? I told you all this was going to happen. Did Jesus come in waving a finger at the disciples saying, guys, why are you here? Why aren't you out spreading the good news of Jesus? Why are you here afraid and huddled together? What's the deal? Did he say any of that? What did he say? Peace be with you. What incredible words for Jesus to come into this upper room where there's fear and trepidation and anxiety, fear that they would be killed, and for Jesus to, sit, to come into this place and, and just utter simple words, peace be with you. In the face of what could have been condemnation, what could have been a wagging finger was simply peace be with you. Now, the first opportunity I had in my life to experience some semblance of, of grace and peace in my life that didn't come from my parents came from my fourth grade teacher, Miss Allen. Something happened. I got, I guess, a rebellious spirit as a fourth grader where I forgot my homework four days in a row. Four days. The first day, it was no big deal. Mark forgot his homework. Go sign the book. The second day, I forgot my homework. And the teacher began to think something's going on here. Go sign the book. The third day, I forgot my homework. What always seemed to happen as the, the son of a teacher at the school was that the teacher, Miss Allen, seemed to run into my dad in the teacher's lounge, right? Just always happened. Mark makes a bad grade on the test, accidentally ran into your teacher in the teacher's lounge today. I couldn't get away with anything. It's terrible. But here on this third time to forget the homework, Miss Allen talked to my dad. So we had a little family powwow and we did the homework together and made sure it was packed away. And something happened when I got to school. My homework was not there. We didn't have a dog, so I couldn't blame it on anybody. I was done for. So I went and signed the book. And the protocol for forgetting your homework four times in a week was detention. And I was going to be in there with the kids that like, hit other people and did spitballs. So this is going to go my permanent record, man. I'm never going to get a job again. This is over. Fourth grade, I'm dead for. In detention? thought it was the end. And so I got one of those big old David Bethay talking tos. I went back to school thinking that on that Friday that I was going to sit in detention for an hour, what was going to be the most horrific hour of my life. I was terrified. thought, what are other kids going to think of me? This is embarrassing that as a teacher's son, I'm having to be in detention. And dad did tell me that, but that was a little bit embarrassing. Oh, it was going to be bad. But towards the end of the day, Miss Allen called me up to her desk, and I still vividly remember that moment of her taking that big old teacher desk calendar and pulling it up and seeing that detention slip sitting right there under her desk. 
And she looked at me with that smile on her face and just said, let's not let this happen again, and told me to go sit back down. And in that moment, I felt this overwhelming, even as a fourth grader, remembering that moment right now, that moment of fear walking up to her desk. And in that moment, as she said, let's just not let this happen again, all of it went away. Man, I was going to get a job one day. I was going to be all right. Everything was going to be fine. That my, my punishment was taken away, even as a fourth grader understood in that moment what she had done for me. She could have easily called me up and said, Mark, what an idiot. What, what, are you, what are you doing? Why can't you remember your homework? How dumb are you? But no, she just said, let's not let this happen again. Friends, Jesus, as he comes into this upper room, says what many of us may need to hear today. You may feel such weight of responsibility of how you failed and fallen short that you're not living up to what God has called you to. But see Jesus walk into that upper room and simply utter four incredible words. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, why could Jesus say peace be with you? Because of what he said just two days ago on Good Friday, it is finished. Jesus could say uh, peace be with you because he said it is finished. The debt had been paid for. Everything had been done. So when he cried on the cross, it is finished. He was telling you and me, peace be with you. If you look on your outline, Luke 2.14 had been proclaiming what Jesus would be and what he would do. It had been foretold generations and generations past that he would be the prince of peace. That Jesus would come being the prince of peace, bringing peace to his people. And look what the angels proclaimed in Luke 2.14. They said, glory to God on the highest and on earth. Hey, I know it's December here. Come on. But on earth, peace. Peace among those whom he is pleased. The angels were proclaiming peace to his people on whom his favor rested. He brought peace to us. Friends, what an incredible, incredible gift that God has given us that in the midst of our hardest of seasons, our most difficult of times, most difficult seasons of life, Jesus brings us peace. The famed uh, physicist Robert Oppenheimer, as he was working on the first atomic bomb, uh, so much was going into this and a lot of weight carrying from uh, working with people to create the first atomic bomb as the world was in war, set before a congressional uh, called hearing about this uh, atomic bomb. And as they were questioning Dr. Oppenheimer about this bomb, they were questioning about all that it could do and all of its capabilities. And some uh, congressman lifted his voice and just said, hey, Dr. Oppenheimer, is there any defense for such a powerful, incredible bomb that would level, uh, just land and kill on a massive scale? Is there any defense that could possibly come against this? Is there anything? And he stood back and he said, well, certainly. And so at that level, all the, the congressmen were saying, well, what is it? What, what can we do? What, what could be there? What could be defense against this incredible bomb? What, what can we do? What could we need to be prepared for? What is the defense against this bomb? And do you know what Dr. Oppenheimer said? peace. That's the defense against such an atomic bomb is simply peace. Do you know what defense we have against the storms of life that hit us that seems like at every turn? Against the speed bumps of life that seem to hit our cars and seem to hit us at every turn of the head? Do you know what defense God has given us? His peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding that the heart, our hearts and minds would be guarded in Christ Jesus. We can have that peace in knowing Jesus. And at times, friends, I, I can include myself in this. I try to pad my spiritual house with peaceful moments. You go to the beach or you go to the lake or you go to these places that you find peace and you just pad your spiritual house with peaceful moments, but never having that peace that surpasses all understanding. 
Several years ago, Brittany and I were looking at homes to buy, and we found this house that we thought was the most beautiful house that we wanted to live in for the rest of our lives. Oh, it was beautiful. It had everything we wanted. It, it was beautiful. It had all this wonderful architecture. It would be a great place for us to raise our kids for the long term. And so we were ready to stroke a check. I mean, we were ready. But we did what uh, we heard was a good idea, is to get a home inspection. And so we got this home inspection. He's walking around, giving us a thumbs up. Everything's looking good. We're excited. I'm on the couch with my checkbook out, ready to go. And then he crawls in the basement. This man, this man crawls through the crawl space, and he crawls out, and he says, Mark, not with quite the biggest smile on his face. He said, Mark, that is the worst foundation I have ever seen in my life. So you know what we did? We did not buy that house, just in case anybody was wondering. We didn't buy it. We got out of there. We ran. Because you don't build a house on a false, shaky foundation. I'm not much of a builder, but today, if I'm going to build a house, you know where I'm not going to start? I'm not going to start with the roof. I'm not going to go get windows and try to put them up in a house that hasn't been framed yet. You start with a foundation because a foundation has to be secure for your house to be in order. And friends, your foundation has to be Jesus. You have to build your house, your spiritual house, on the foundation, the sure foundation of Jesus. And at times, we struggle with peace in our hearts, peace in our souls, and we run to things to simply patch up a bit of our house, patch up some leaky faucets, patch up a leafy, leaf, leaky roof. But in the end, our foundation is just all out of order. So Jesus comes to these worried disciples. Without a, a wagging finger, he simply says, peace be with you. Such incredible words from a king who was peace with them, who was the prince of peace who came to die to give you and I peace. And we continue, we see Jesus' rebuttal to the reluctant disciple. We see the disciples are gathered there, nay, uh, Thomas, and so they're, they're seeing Jesus, and Jesus says, peace be with you, and then he shows them his hands and his side, and then he says again, peace be with you, and he sends them out on the, a great commissioning opportunity right there to go out, and now Thomas, he gets this name Doubting Thomas here, but in other places you see Thomas is well ready to go out and do the work of the Lord, but here he's a little bit afraid. A little bit skeptical. And he says, unless I touch his hands and the mark of the nails and put my finger into his side, I will never believe. Never believe. And so what happens? Eight days later, the disciples crowded in this upper room. Jesus comes, and what does he say to, the, to Thomas and the disciples? What does he say? By this point, you should know it. What does he say? Peace be with you. To Thomas, the skeptic, he says, peace be with you. And he says, see and believe. There he is, Jesus saying, Thomas, go ahead, touch my side, touch my, my nail-pierced hand, touch, see and believe. Know that I am with you. There may be some of you in this room, and you may struggle with disbelief, not believing that Maybe God could love you and care for you. Maybe struggling, is God with me? Does he care and love? Does God know, that, does God know all that I've done? Has he taken away all of my sins? There's no way my sin is too great. There's no way that God could do that for me. There's no way that God could love me. If you feel that, if you feel that reluctancy and wonder, could God, would God, then you look no further than the cross. That on that cross, he took your sins and my sins, and he didn't just take them, he took them willingly. He willingly went to the cross to die in our place, and he took all of our sins. All of them. Can, you, can the people say all? 
graving me. All of them. He took all of them. On the cross, he took all of our sins, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And so when we wonder, could God love me? When we are reluctant to understand the depth of the grace by which he has given us, we look no further than the cross to realize that he took on our sins. And on the third day, he rose triumphant over all of them. Thanks be to God. And then you come down to Thomas's reply as he has put his hands in the side of Jesus and as he has seen with his own eyes the resurrected Savior. Thomas's reply to the risen Savior is simply this. Beautiful, beautiful words. Jesus says, do not disbelieve, but believe. And so Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Thomas's reply to the risen Savior was simply, my Lord and my God. This was Thomas's personal confession of Jesus. This was his confession that he had seen the resur- resurrected Savior, that he was trusting in Jesus. This is his personal confession. Thomas couldn't be included in the other disciples. Thomas couldn't just be, oh, the disciples, he's our Lord. No, it was his Lord. I'm going to tell you very personally that today, as much as I want Micah, my four-year-old, Helen Ann, my two-year-old, and Nora, my nine-month-old, to know Jesus and to trust in Jesus and to be saved. It's ultimately their decision. They have to trust in Jesus. As much as I wish that I had some authority by God to just wave my coat over all of you and say, all of you now are saved, don't worry about it, just get on out of here, you're all saved. I have no such authority. To follow Jesus, it is your personal decision to follow Jesus. You can't be saved by your grandparents' faith. You can't be saved by your parents' faith. It is simply your decision. And so as Thomas says, my Lord, my God, what is Thomas saying? He's saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. It's a great word that we know a lot, but do we understand what it means? Thomas is saying, you are my leader. Jesus, you are my Lord and my leader. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. I'm going to trust in you, and you are my authority. I stand on the authority that you bring, Lord. Whatever you say, whatever you call me to, I am willing to lay down my life for you. You are my Lord. So this day, is Jesus your Lord? You come to each day and say, Lord, whatever you're calling me to, I'm yours. I stand on the authority of your word. Lord, when I read it, will I apply it? Jesus, are you my leader? When you ask Jesus into your heart, you're saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you. And Thomas says, you are my Lord and my God. Signifying that Jesus is not simply another deity in the realm of deities. He's not a simply good moral teacher who's come to bring moralism and how to live a good life or be a good citizen. He's not come to be a good teacher about laws or philosophy. He is God. Any other utterance, this would be blasphemous, but Jesus is God. And so for Thomas to cry out this incredible claim, my Lord, my God, is to remind each one of us that it is our calling, our confession. What are we called to? Which will lead us to this last response. What is your response? What is my response to the resurrected Jesus? To the reality that Jesus is not in the grave any longer that he has risen risen victorious over death, what is your response? How do we respond to the reality that Jesus has saved you from the pit of hell? The Bible is clear. If we call upon the name of the Lord, if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and call upon the name of the Lord, then we will be saved. As you come to the end of the book of John, chapter 20, 
You see verse 30 and 31 there in your Bibles. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's the very thing that Jesus has come to do, to give you life and life eternal. All that's required is simply that we would call upon the name of the Lord. It's as simple as the ABCs, that we admit that we're a sinner, admit that we've fallen short, that we cannot save ourselves, that we need Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And then B, we believe. We believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. We believe that Jesus is our Lord, that he is our salvation. We believe, John 14, 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him. And then we call. We call upon Jesus. We confess that Jesus is Lord. So I ask this morning, what is your response to the resurrected, risen Savior, the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Lord? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. We thank you for this day, this day of celebration, this day that we come to with much anticipation over what you have done. We're reminded that you rose victorious over death. You defeated the grave. And so because of that, we stand victorious. You stand before us today just simply saying, peace be with you because it is finished. Lord, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his holy, matchless, peace-filled name that we pray, amen.